Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. Today is Wednesday, July 24th, and today is the last episode of Bill Woodcock, Far From Home. As I share with you my thoughts upon the uh, the goings-on in Britain of the day, and also my best and worst of my stay here. Um, you know, I can't really say that it's been a too short or too long stay that I miss back in Maryland and Columbia, and uh, that I'm really hankering to get back. Uh, it's just that it's time, and uh, it's time for me to, to go back home and um, do what I need to do. I still have uh, four days of vacation after this, and I'm going to make them count. So, a few things. First off, I uh, had mentioned some an article in the Times of London from Sunday that I wanted to discuss. And this was a very uh, interesting infographic, a full-page infographic they had. And they looked at millionaires. So they, what they looked at were the 19.6 million millionaires that there are in the world, which for some reason seemed to me to be kind of a high number. Uh, the 198,000 ultra-millionaires, which were defined as people with net worth of over $30 million, excluding their primary residence, um, and then the 2,696 billionaires uh, who exist in the world. Um, and again, all, all of those numbers seem to me to be uh, kind of high. So what I found interesting was that, uh, one, that there were so many, two, insofar as where they were spread out. Um, North America has the second highest number of these people. Uh, they have 51,912 of the 198,000 who are over $30 million net worth. Europe has 70,627. Uh, you know, I've talked with people here about this, and, and some of the speculation is that probably a couple thousand of those are, are Russians who fled the Soviet Union and they cashed out uh, 30 years ago, and then that may be. But it uh, kind of is stunning to me that Europe beat North America and beat Asia. Asia is a little bit behind. Uh, with uh, 48,000 of these folks. But I kind of figured North America and Asia would be number one and two, and that Europe would be third. But instead, Europe is first. Also, um, the other thing that was stunning to me was the idea of luxury purchases. So where are these people putting their money? So in terms of traditional investments, uh, these people are putting their money into equity, uh, 26%, cash and cash equivalents, 28%. Kind of makes sense because you're looking, talking about generally older people, so they're going to be hedging their investments. Uh, and then only 16% into real estate, 17.6% uh, into fixed income, and 13% into alternative investments. And I'm going to get into a segment of those alternative investments next. 
again a little bit of a, of a surprise I kind of figured a higher real estate uh, percentage and a lower fixed income percentage considering as fixed income assets are super conservative investments but I guess we're talking about people who, who want to hold on to what they've got so uh, why not that way with respect to the alternative investments um, we're looking specifically at luxury purchases so what are these people investing in that is earning them income and the number one growth um, market is in which people are in which these ultra high net worth people are investing their money um, you know is it art no is it cars no is it diamonds or jewelry no uh, the answer happens to be rare whiskey, um, which I never would have thought about that in I don't know how long. Uh, I never would have thought of rare whiskey as a thing to invest in. Um, of course, stupidly, I think of whiskey as a thing to consume. But uh, rare whiskey has grown 40% in value since 2018 so uh, those of you out there who are looking for a uh, little investment tool uh, you may want to look at that uh, bottle of uh, Napoleonic brandy or cognac or uh, uh, super uh, ultra um, you know low low production whiskey uh, in your local uh, liquor store and you may want to pick it up because in a year it may not you know may may have accrued in value or you may have just drank it because you're showing off for your friends how rich you are when you're really not so uh that's you know that i thought was very interesting so uh today uh as at a uh, time of recording it is seven in the morning and um, so much of the news today is about the new Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, uh, who uh, takes the office of Prime Minister today. I'm really not changed at all over what I said yesterday about his prospects. Um, yeah, and I don't want anything I say yesterday to be misconstrued. I mean, you know, the guy's, the guy's a, a bit of a, he's a bit of a whack job. Uh, and he and he does say he's a bit of a uh, as I mentioned as I said yesterday he's quite flamboyant um, you know were that our president were to show uh, a little bit of that flamboyance um, instead of just racism and stupidity and ignorance but but this guy's got a big job cut out for him so he's gonna have to go and hat in hand and negotiate with a lot of these uh, leaders of other European Union nations uh, people like Macron and Merkel and and convince them about that that uh, that about how Britain should leave um, not sure how much how how well this is going to go over not sure how much this is going to get done um pretty sure that it's going to cause some problems so you know again he's got a hundred days a hundred days to october 31st and my god isn't that a terrifying uh prospect in itself he doesn't have that long and so 
he's going to have to show some results really within the first two weeks, I would say, um, because the closer Britain gets to a no-deal Brexit, then uh, I think it's going to be more troubling for the British economy. Um, you know, apparently, I mean, I do think he's going to get a tip in in terms of a uh, trade deal with the U.S. I, I think that's going to help, um, but I'm not sure. I I uh, I, I I think that the 50% um, success possibility that the British press seem to be giving him. Um, that may be a tad generous. I'm going to go more 35 to 40. Um, but of course, I don't know British politics that well. So uh, there seems to be a good bit of faith in his uh, persona and personality and ability to accomplish things. So uh, we'll see what happens here. All right. So that only leaves one order of business. And. Um, as I'm wrapping up this trip, I'm going to go downstairs, uh, finish my pack. Well, finish my packing first, uh, have breakfast, and then uh, the only thing that will be left for me will be for my car to get here around noon, and then uh, head to the airport. Um, I have really enjoyed this trip. This has been a um, I don't know if I want to be so dramatic and say once in a lifetime, but this has really been a very impactful trip uh, for me. Uh, I have seen a lot, and uh, I, I can tell that it's going to take me easily the remainder of my journey to process everything that's gone on and everything that I've seen. and. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things I'm bringing back here. You know, I, I you know I've gained a further appreciation uh, on this trip for the fact that uh, it may sound like an '80s alternative song because uh, it is, but uh, people are people. Uh, societies everywhere um, face the same basic human needs. We all have um, the same things that we're wishing for in life and our societies and our cultures um, provide us the opportunity and the ability in varying degrees to, uh, to access those dreams. Um, you know, in the U.S., you know, we feel that our system is the best. In Great Britain, you know, they feel their system is the best. They, they can't picture a world without national health care. Um, you know, they can't picture a world without uh, a, a high-class uh, education system. Um, you know, they can't picture a world without, you know, infrastructure that includes strong public transportation. Um, but we do, and, 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 you know, I think that people in the U.S. could stand better to be more open-minded, uh, to receive things that are successful in other parts of the world that are not the U.S., and, um, and, and see how they're implemented into our lives. But um, we don't do that as often as we should, and we have barely done that at all. I mean, when you think about it, when you think about the last two and a half years in this country, in the U.S., what have we done? Um, there was a tax bill that was passed. 
Um, but, you know, and, and yay, some people save some money on their taxes. But, um, you know, have we progressed as a people at all? Uh, are we working any less hard? Uh, are we realizing our dreams better? Um, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see where we're doing that. You know, I, I see where we, and in we right now, I, I mean white America, um, you know, we, we are revolting against others, against people who don't look like us. But yet, who is advancing? Uh, I don't see it. Uh, anyway, this was not meant to be a polemic on um, U.S. politics, but anyhow, more frivolously, um, what, what, what were my favorite parts? Um, I don't know. I, I had a wonderful conversation with a Russian um, Friday night at the museum I went to, and that sticks out to me. You know, that was total person-on-person, um, you know, complete chance encounter, um, you know, just talking with someone off the street. And when I say Russian, this, this woman was a uh, British citizen, but uh, grew up in Russia and lived in, has lived in Great Britain for over 20 years. And, uh, you know, I gained great insights off of both both British culture and Russian culture. I mean, this would be a person who, you know, you would see fit very easily into regular suburban Baltimore, D.C., middle-class life. And so to get their opinion as to how things work in Russia and the U.K. and how those are contrasted by how they work in the U.S., uh, that was pretty cool. Um, that was a sort of exchange that, you know, you couldn't, couldn't pay money for. Um, you know, seeing Big Ben in the Houses of Parliament, of course, Big Ben was scaffolded up. Seeing Piccadilly, um, you know, seeing how everyday Russian, I mean, uh, everyday Russians, yes, everyday Brits live their lives. Um, being in two of the major cities of the world for the first time ever. Uh, London and Paris, uh, the two beautiful rivers, the Thames and the Seine. Um, you know, going through the French countryside on the train, realizing how much of the French economy is based on grain production, uh, because my goodness, there are certainly a ton of wheat fields in the north of France. Um, you know, seeing, uh, you know, the age of the buildings and the architecture and, you know, knowing that there are artifacts here which have been around for hundreds of generations, literally. And it's, it's really quite eye-opening. It's humbling. And it's something that everybody should really do. Everybody should get out of their culture zone, uh, comfort zone, rather, um, even if it's, you know, once every, once every uh, 10 years or so, and it has been 10 years for me since my last uh, international trip, um, everybody should get out of their comfort zone and experience what life's like somewhere else because I do think it would make you both grateful to, for what you have, uh, appreciative of what other cultures are like, and thoughtful 
in terms of what could be. Um, it's very important. Um, some things that I will be grateful for uh, based on that. Um, you know, getting back to the U.S. Uh, first off, air conditioning. Uh, two, uh, tasty food. Uh, I'm sorry, Britain, but other than the Indian food I had here and the pizza I had last night, uh, the food is bland. Um, fish and chips, guys, you're not missing anything at Union Jacks or the uh, the um, you know restaurant of your choice. Um, there, you know the the malt vinegar makes it good, but uh, the fish and chips itself are kind of bland. Um, you know, um, what else? Um, the driving. Uh, British drivers are actually fine. And it really didn't take me uh, much time to get used to this uh, other side of the road thing. Uh, French drivers, especially those in Paris, are insane. Uh, if I ever go back to Paris, there will be absolutely zero chance I will rent a car there. And that's okay. Um... You know, I, I do wish I had come, I had been here several weeks later to see some Premier League um, the next time I come, but that also gives me a chance for the next time I come to London. Uh, there certainly were things here. I did everything I wanted to do on this trip, plus then some, um, but there are still things left to do. So, um, you know, I, I look forward to uh, coming back here in the near future. And with respect to that, uh, forward is what this podcast is all about. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this these past few days. I have enjoyed uh, presenting this to you. And um, I have been given a renewed appreciation of global culturalism. Uh, And uh, I um, promise, I will make a personal promise. Uh, God, remember there was some guy in the county who would say that? Um, but, uh, I will, I will, um, I will take the, uh, take the action to look at things more globally and, um, consider things in a more, uh, in a, in a, uh, scope that's larger than myself and the world in which I currently operate. So, um, okay. With that. Uh, I am going to sign off. Um, it's going to be good to be back, and it's going to be good to get some new, th- get some things going, and reconnect, and get plugged back in. But uh, I will leave a little bit of me here, and um, hopefully take some of this place with me as well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name is Bill Woodcock. This has been Forward Maryland. Have a great rest of your day. Take care.